Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Earnings season is in full swing. That's good news for Tesla and Lithia, not so much for Carvana. And there are new models on the way from BMW and Lincoln. Plus, why are pedestrian deaths on the rise? We'll dig in on that a little later in the show. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Let's start with Tesla. The EV maker says net income surged to $3.3 billion in the first quarter. That's way up from the $438 million profit it earned a year earlier. Revenue jumped 81% to $18.8 billion. While many automakers have struggled with supply chain issues and slowed production over the past year, Tesla has posted record earnings and deliveries quarter after quarter. During an investor call, CEO Elon Musk said he expects the company's rapid growth to continue. We remain confident of a 50% growth in vehicle production uh, in 2022 versus 21. Um, I think we we actually have a reasonable shot at a 60% uh, increase uh, over uh, last year. The optimism comes after Tesla opened factories in Texas and Germany in recent weeks. Meanwhile, Musk again discussed plans for a robo-taxi vehicle, saying the company hopes to reach volume production as soon as 2024. Here's Musk again. We're also working on a new vehicle that I alluded to at the Giga Texas opening, uh, which is a, a dedicated robo taxi that's uh, highly optimized for uh, autonomy, uh, meaning it would not have steering wheel or pedals. Um, and th- there are a number of other innovations ar- around it that I think are quite exciting, um, but it's fundamentally uh, optimized for it's trying to achieve the, the lowest uh, fully considered uh, cost per mile or cost per kilometer, uh, you know, accounting everything. Um, and and so it's, I think, going to be a very powerful product. For much more on Tesla's first quarter, visit autonews.com. Turning to retailers, increased new and used car sales helped propel Lithia Motors results. The retail giant's first quarter net income more than doubled, soaring 119% to $342 million. Lithia saying revenue climbed 54% to $6.7 billion, setting a first quarter record for the company. The average selling price for a new vehicle was $47,146, up 16%, while the average selling price for a used vehicle grew twice as fast, 32%, to 30323 Lithia has been in acquisition mode for almost two years now as CEO Brian DeBoer seeks to make it into the biggest dealership group in the U.S. with a nationwide digital and physical presence. The group now has 267 dealerships in the U.S. and 13 in Canada. The earnings story was not such a happy one for Carvana. 
The used vehicle retailer said it sold fewer vehicles than it had planned in the first quarter, which led to higher costs and lower profit per vehicle. The company reported a net loss of half a billion dollars in the first three months of the year, compared with only an $82 million loss a year earlier. With a 14% increase in used vehicle sales, first quarter revenue jumped 56% to $3.5 billion. But Carvana says disruptions to its reconditioning and logistics network hindered further sales volume growth. Gross profit per vehicle fell more than $800 to 2833 The company cited high used vehicle prices, increasing interest rates, and fallout from the pandemic as also hurting results. Now let's turn to some product news in the luxury market. BMW has redesigned its flagship 7 Series sedan. The 2023 model will arrive in the U.S. in the fourth quarter. The luxury sedan will be offered with three different drivetrains, a 3-liter twin-power turbo inline six-cylinder engine that delivers 375 horsepower, starts at 94,295, a 4.4-liter twin-power turbo V8, that delivers 536 horsepower, starts at 114,595. Both engines come with a 48-volt mild hybrid system that provides up to 12 more horses. But here's the big news. BMW is also offering the 7 Series in a dual-motor all-electric variant, dubbed the i7. It delivers 536 horsepower, same as the V8, and gets up to 300 miles of range, it starts at 120295 Pre-orders for the i7 began yesterday. Our Urvaksh Karkaria has much more on the 7 Series lineup at autonews.com. And finally, Lincoln is stepping on the battery pedal. Last night, Ford Motor Company's luxury line unveiled the Lincoln Star, a fully electric concept vehicle. It is built on Ford's new EV platform and is roughly the size of an aviator crossover. However, the Star was designed with two rows of seats instead of three to give occupants more space. As part of the reveal event held in Los Angeles, officials said Lincoln will launch three EVs globally by 2025 and add a fourth in 2026. That is an acceleration of electrification plans announced last June. And that's the news you need to know. Coming up, how the trend from sedans to light trucks is making streets less safe for pedestrians after the break. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, 
and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. Bigger vehicles, distracted drivers, maybe even distracted pedestrians. There are a lot of reasons why it's gotten more dangerous to be a human in the vicinity of American roads. On the Automotive News podcast, Shift, a podcast about mobility, my colleague Pete Bigelow explored the issue in an extensive conversation with Angie Schmidt, the founder of transportation company 3MPH. Shift is a weekly podcast that goes deep on one important topic in mobility, automated driving, electrification, public policy. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's listen now to an excerpt from Pete's interview with Angie Schmidt, who is also the author of Right of Way. What is the pedestrian safety crisis as you see it, and why is it getting worse? It depends sort of on what statistics you use and what you use as sort of the base year, but there's been about a 50% increase in pedestrian deaths over the past decade. And the problem's actually gotten worse during the pandemic, which was a little bit surprising for a lot of people because there was less driving. With traffic crashes in general, the ratio of fatalities to serious injuries is about eight to one. For pedestrian deaths, it's actually a little bit different because they're more likely to die when they're struck. But anyway, many times that amount are injured every year. So, and then that actually doesn't include a few thousand people that are killed on private properties. So if you're killed in like in a parking lot or that kind of thing, NHTSA doesn't count it as a pedestrian fatality. Put it in perspective, it's like um, about twice as many people, even just based on the federal statistics, as are killed in fires in the United States. I called it like silent epidemic in my book title or subtitle. It's sort of been um, hard to get people interested in traffic fatalities in general and sort of recognizing some of the structural reasons the problem might get worse or certain people might be injured or killed specifically or at high risk. Why is that? I've always kind of wondered at myself, like, why is so few people interested in that particular topic until it happens to them or a loved one? Like, I think that's a lot of the, the advocacy work that we see in throughout the industry, throughout the government. Have you been able to kind of put a finger on why is this so prevalent and, and silent at the same time? Yeah, I think we're just sort of used to it. And I, I think like it has a little bit to do with like sort of the narrative about it. I think it's always been a problem in traffic safety. Uh, like I, I wrote this thing about it and I actually haven't found someone to publish it yet, but I, I just, we, we sort of use traffic deaths as like the baseline number of acceptable deaths. So you, you'll hear like reporting about other like major killers, uh, like the opioid epidemic or sometimes suicide or gun violence. And they're always comparing to traffic deaths. And it's just sort of the assumed like baseline level of mass death. But if you look at our numbers compared to like a lot of our international peers, our safety record is pretty bad and it's getting worse by comparison. And this pedestrian death thing is very unusual. We used to be able to just sort of count on the fact that traffic deaths overall would gradually decline. So this is really unusual to see this sort of sustained increase. It's really interesting looking at the latest statistics, which are you know even worse than before. Uh, just this week, from the Governor's Highway Safety Association, that pedestrian deaths are up seventeen percent year over year, comparing first six months of twenty twenty to first six months twenty twenty one. 
what is it you mentioned that this has really gotten worse during the pandemic? Is there anything you can put your finger on as to why even as vehicle miles travel declines, to at least to start early pandemic, that, that this is now, even as they go back up, like deaths are continuing to get worse for pedestrians? One thing I write about a lot in my book is there's been this shift in the vehicle, the consumer vehicle fleet in the United States. Cars and trucks have just gotten a lot bigger in recent years. And I think like as many years goes by where that happens, more and more of our vehicle fleet, these smaller cars that were relatively safer when they struck pedestrians are being replaced by bigger and bigger cars that have higher risks. So that's a factor. Also, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that behavior was worse during the pandemic. I think like some of the broader problems we have in our society are manifesting themselves in ways that worsen traffic safety. So more aggressive driving behavior and also sort of in some of these like more aggressive tendencies have become part of vehicle design. You see it, especially with a lot of pickup trucks that have very tall, aggressive front ends now um, that almost are designed to look mean and intimidating. People are always looking for one explanation. And in my book, I talk about, I don't think there's necessarily one thing that's driving this, although the thing we can point most closely to is the vehicle fleet changing and getting bigger. I think there's a number of trends that are sort of happening at the same time that are negative for pedestrian safety. The one that jumps out to me, which also seems to once be one that's obvious yet very nebulous in terms of putting cold, hard analysis behind or numbers behind is, you know, I drop my kids off at school every morning and I see at least a dozen parents in the drop-off line staring at their phones or as they're you know, at the intersection turning left, they're on their phones. Anyone driving out there sees this on the road is there's a certain percentage of drivers using their phone while driving. And can we account for like the role distraction plays in this pedestrian death uptick or is that still hard to do? You know, what I said in my book was it was sort of hard to say like it probably is having an impact. Now, I think we can pretty confidently say there's a lot of hype about like distracted pedestrians and the data really doesn't support that theory very well. And I could go on about why if you want. I feel like that angle has gotten a disproportionate amount of coverage compared to to what the statistics are. So I am curious why you think distracted walking has caught a lot of attention even if it's not a significant portion of the actual problem. Yeah, I think like a lot of the the people who are in more influential positions in like media and government are the kind of people that can afford to drive a car. So that might be the kind of thing they encounter anecdotally on the drive to work that annoys them. Like they see someone texting near a crosswalk and that upsets them. For example, three quarters of pedestrian deaths happen at night. So it doesn't mean that a pedestrian couldn't be distracted by their phone at night, but also it seems a little less likely. Also, the people who are killed while walking are disproportionately old, poor, people of color, not our most stereotypically wired demographics either. Well, I am curious, uh, since you started out with it, that aspect of vehicle design that plays a role. There's people who work for automotive companies who are listening to this 
saying like SUVs and pickup trucks are our most profitable vehicles. Like there's no way we're changing that. Is it NHTSA who should be regulating the size of vehicles? What is the like practical solution that, that could help in that respect? I feel like everything that happens in the auto industry is like this complex interplay between the automakers, consumers and regulators, right? And sometimes the regulation has had sort of a perverse effect. <laughs> Some of our regulations have, you know, I just saw something about the emission standards were sort of incentivizing large trucks over small. And I know that the profit motive has been huge for the auto companies and especially the American auto companies who are sort of pigeonholed more in the SUV and truck sector. And sometimes I get sort of upset with consumers too, because I feel like professional consumers, which is like sort of my, you know, I'm in this demographic, are very snobby about American made cars, I think unfairly. But for some reason, trucks, American made trucks and SUVs aren't subject to the same bias. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's sort of unfortunate politically and for this issue that the American automakers are so concentrated in trucks and SUVs, especially with what's happening with gas prices. And, you know, I'm actually from Toledo and really want to see the American auto companies succeed. I think some of it has been pretty unethical, <laughs> some of what's happened in the American auto industry. Well, my book was partly inspired by this older book that written by Keith Bradshaw called High and Mighty. And it was all about the early generation of SUVs. He has, you know, key people at Chrysler and on record saying they're really trying to tap into sort of aggressive, dangerous tendencies that people have and profit from them. So obviously, I think that's wrong. And regulators have done a bad job tapping the brakes on it. And consumers are this whole other... <laughs> issues. So there's a lot going on. And I come from bike and walking advocacy. And there are a lot of people are very militant about it on Twitter. And I think they're the wrong, like they on SUVs, you know, which I think there's so many intermediate steps in between there, right? Like there's so there's so much middle ground that could save lives that we haven't, we just haven't done. Like why, why do we allow these bull bars on the front end of trucks and SUVs. Why don't we, we don't even research like what the safety impacts are. We let people do all these crazy aftermarket modifications that definitely wor worsen safety outcomes. You know, the states, NHTSA have been really hands off about that. Now we see even a lot of public agencies purchasing them for like, for example, their police departments, which I just think is totally negative for safety. And, uh, you know, there's just, no outcry about it. And also, I think, you know, there's potential. Okay, if you're going to have a five-foot grill on your Ford F-250 that produces a 15-foot forward blind zone or whatever, you ought to, maybe you need a forward <laughs> camera. Maybe you need additional sensor technology, that kind of thing. It's just been very hands-off. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get the latest news on policy, safety, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick and Kellen Walker for editing today's show. Thanks to the Automotive News Multimedia team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. Special thanks to our departing colleague, Jeremy Carroll, who has been instrumental in reshaping this podcast. And thanks to you for listening and making this show part of your daily routine. Now let's all get back to work.